0: everyone and welcome to living a legacy i'm excited to welcome to the program eric couch eric how are you
1: great neil great we got a great show today i'm excited to speak to the one and only mark victor hansen aka the co-creator of chicken soup for the soul like that massive series mark welcome to the show
2: Listen, I am honored and thankful to be in a show. God bless you, goes, and all your listeners out there. And thank every one of them for buying a chicken soup book. And now our new book, Ask, is eclipsing that. We're the number one book on Amazon, Ask, The Bridge From Your Dreams to Your Destiny. And I'm thankful to say that everybody can have everything they want if they learn to effectively use the technology, the philosophy, and the principles of asking, which my wife and I have
0: written into our Ask book. How's that? I love that. See, this is what this is. Eric, when you want somebody that you talk about writing books and, you know, Eric, I know you're thinking of write. You're close to finishing up a Mm -hmm. book. This guy is a master. Mark, how many books have you written in your career? I've got by the end of the year,
2: I'll have 318. We got one. If you're going to do that, we got a book out there. You can get called. You have a book in you. So I want everybody to write a book because when you write, you think more, read more live more and become more because life is uh, top down, inside out. You know, your inner thinking shows up in your outer expression. I think you'd believe that.
1: Definitely. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. So I, 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 happen to love writing books and I still have a full life. I've got five kids, six grandkids, uh, very active life in, in a ton of different ways. And, and, uh, I think every one of us is here to have a fulfilled life, but one of the little things only because you brought it up is that, Everybody has a book in them. Everybody has a song in them. Everybody has an invention in them. Everybody has a, a business in them. And it's only by asking that you learn that. And what Chris and I are teaching with ask is you got to ask yourself, ask others and ask God. And, and that's the yeah. trinity or
1: triangulation. That's right. So how did you, how did you get into becoming an author? Like where's some of the story behind that? Cause obviously everybody's heard of chicken soup for the soul. Um, yeah. well, good thing and, I, and I 100% <laughs> agree with with, we all have a story, right? And we do. Yeah. God's given us a story. So, kind of tell us about yours.
2: And then, by the way, everybody needs to express their story, but I'm 16 years old and had a rock group. And we skipped school one day and went to Chicago when I was in high school and, and got in trouble and had 40 days of detention. And I'm sitting there and, <laughs> and can't talk. So, I write this great letter to the girl I was hitting on who had never went out with me anyhow. But she liked it so much, she passed it around. Everybody said, write more. You were really good. And I thought, wow, that's good. And then, long story short, I became one of the top speakers after I went bankrupt. I tried to be, in graduate school, I was getting my doctorate with Buckminster Fuller, and I tried to be Bucky, and I built Wall Street Rat Club Botanical Gardens. But I built out of plastic at exactly the wrong time. I didn't know uh, the oil embargo was hitting in 1974. I'm 73, so nobody has to worry, but I'm going to live to be 127 with options for renewal because I say if you have a high quality life, you want a high quality. Anyhow, I started speaking, did more talks, only Tony Robbins and I, as far as I know, because we've talked to a lot of people, did over 1,000 talks a year the first three years in the business, and people kept saying, do you have that story in a book? Because like you just said, Eric, everybody's got a story, and you've got to put it in the, yeah. the book. Uh, not only for yourself, but because there's a legacy show, there's nothing that has a legacy that lasts longer. I mean, we're reading stuff from 6,000 years ago with Solomon and Moses and 2,000 years ago from Christ. And I'm my heroes like Mark Twain and, that and Andrew Carnegie. I mean, all those guys, thank God, wrote and taught us what to do. And then Jack and I met, we were talking to 6,000 people. He was a kickoff and I was a tie-up. And he comes up to me at the end and said, wow, you were the best storyteller I've ever heard. I said, thank you. He said, you know who I am? I said, hey, you're Dr. Jack Canfield. (laughs) third in your class at Harvard. I'm real clear who you are. You uh, sold 170,000 books called, or 370,000 books called 101 Ways to Build self Esteem in a Classroom. He said, boy, how do you know? I said, because I'm a scholar and anybody who's cooking anywhere. And anyhow, we had dinner. We became best friends. He said, let's do this book together. And 144 publishers all said, hit the road, Jack. And I said, look, it's okay if you Mm -hmm. don't like him but I am a really nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> Jack's wonderful. I'm, I'm flip, being flipped with you, as you know.
0: I hope you can tell. Wow. So and how did you know the talent in Jack? Because it seems like... How Martin, did I know the talent? The talent that Jack, Jack had that talent from the one book you saw and you said, this is... Well, good. I'd read the book and and, you know, you don't
2: get to be head of your third in class at Harvard unless you're a damn good writer. It just isn't... Brian. I couldn't even gotten into Harvard and then they asked me to teach there once I sold more books than anybody else in the world and I said wow that is really cool so uh, Jack and I became best friends we basically lived together you know when we weren't speaking he was doing the educational market I did the business market my whole life uh, and love business I mean I am a speaker a writer mm-hmm. and a really good entrepreneur I, I'm, a, I'm thankful to say I mean I'm not trying to be boastful I'm just saying everybody's got their destiny and that's what we're teaching in this book the subtitle is from bridge to your destiny and what crystal and I are dedicated to is helping everybody find their destiny because if you're in destiny if you're going toward your destiny you're in love with life it doesn't mean you won't have problems and upsets and withholds and detours but you're going to be in love with what you're doing and i like right now I'm, you know i'll finish a couple more books yet before the end of the year and we're really after it and, and these are going to be bigger books than ever because i'm one of them is about an African-American black preacher who was my closest friend in Harlem, you know, for seven years when I lived in New York. Um, and and he died and his wife came to me and said, hey, look, you're his best friend. Why don't you write this biography? And the guy really had profound... So the title is called From Wishes to Riches, The Illuminations of Reverend Ike, Exploring the Wealth of God in You. And it's, it's an extraordinary book. I got to tell you that the guy was profound for 44 years. He did nothing but figure out what God was trying to tell us. And most people missed the, all the messages. I'm sorry to say.
3: Yeah. So well, I, Mark, you I, make I go a too point,
1: right? <laughs> say
2: again.
3: No, no,
1: this is great. I, I love your point, right? Cause it's, it's impossible to be unmotivated when you're chasing your dreams. Right. That's, Perfectly that's what I'm gathering yeah. out of what you just and said. And by the right? way, let's, let's like, go. Yeah. Remember,
2: I said, you got to ask yourself. And when I went bankrupt, I kept saying, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do here? And God said, what do you want to do? And I said, I I want to be a professional speaker. And all of a sudden it said, okay, so I want to talk to people that care about things that matter that would make a life-changing difference. I go to my three roommates in Hicksville, Long Island, New York. So you can see how bad it was for me at that time. I mean, I was paying a hundred dollars a month rent and sleeping in a sleeping bag in front of another guy's room. And I said to my three roommates, hey guys, you know, anyone young speaking that's not a lawyer, doctor, celebrity, Broadway star, famous person. I said, Oh yeah, yeah. I got a ticket to a real estate meeting today for the multiple sources with, and Chip Collins tongue. He's brilliant. He's a couple of years older than you, but you'll love him. I went out there and he wowed the audience for three hours. So my first miracle was I asked God and he told me, what do you want? And then number, which is a great question we teach and ask. Number two is my, I suddenly get a ticket the next morning. Now I know what I want. When you know what you want, back to what you just said, is all the mm-hmm. things getting out of the way? Nobody can stop somebody who's crystal clear in their dream, figured out what they want, and have it in writing. I meet Chip Collins, he teaches me how to do the business. And then all of a sudden, the audience has said, Do you have it as a book? And in a short time, I did a book and I sold 20,000 copies of a little book called Stand Up, Speak Out, and Win from the Audience, made $200,000, and I was back and I paid all my debts. And I thought, Holy cow, I have arrived again. This is like way cool because I was doing exactly what yeah. I wanted. What I, it, it sounds easy, and I'm short circuiting lots of years and lots of pain and lots of anguish. But when you're on fire towards your thing, when you know what your magnificent obsession is called your destiny, you are unstoppable. You just accelerate upward.
1: Right. Right.
2: Yeah. So I and think I got lighting bottle but again. first we got to stop. Became the number one book in America, so we're very thankful.
1: Well, but, Mark, you know, another part, right? So many of us stay so busy in and, and, and life that, that – that, and, and <laughs> perfect example, right? So years ago, I'm in my wife's car, and I'm like, there's a rattle. Like, what is that? Have you noticed that before? She's like, yeah, I just turned up the radio. What? You turned up the radio? <laughs> we got to get this thing fixed. Like, you're, you're my wife. You're carrying our children. We, when there's an issue, don't just turn up the radio. We got to get the, you know. But man, is that not a perfect analogy of so many of our lives is is there's a dream, but we're so scared to death of it that we just turn up the radio. We get more busy. We do more. We take on more. We put st- stuff in our wheelbarrow to carry that overwhelms us so that we don't have time to think about the one thing that God's called us to do. So it's just stopping to go what am I called to do? Like, what am I passionate about? But we're so scared of being happy and successful. I love the fact that you're doing this and that you're asking the questions. you got it
2: exactly right. And what we're saying is, look, everyone gets distracted because we said the second chapter of the book, seven detours in life and roadblocks. And what they are is all of us have one or two or three of them. Some of us have all seven going at once. And it's like, sense of worthiness well you know i gotta just take care of the kids i can't go take care of the rattle in the car who the heck do you think i am you know i'm just the mother here you're the father you're supposed to take care of the car you should have heard him, right it's I, your no job <laughs> yeah, well, go on. number two is you have doubt and then you got fear which is the acronym of course is false evidence appearing as real and then you got um pain and then you got procrastination and then you got pattern paralysis where people go over and over and over and over and the same thing and my teacher Bucky Fuller was Einstein's best uh, student, as you probably know. And, and Einstein said, "If you keep doing the same thing and expect a new result, you're cuckoo," meaning in German, crazy. <laughs> and then, then we have the bigger, the biggest distraction of all, Eric and Neil, is this. You guys have been at dinners and watched teenagers next to you sitting, or worse, when until four years ago, when China was still going capitalistically communist,ic and I worked there 80 times. And sold 374 million books. Now I won't go there because they're Marxists and I am absolutely antagonized over socialism and communism. Is My dad came out of Dan- Danish Denmark by my uncle yeah. Sven, his big brother, 14 years older. Took We took all the Jews from Hitler's Germany into Denmark. He created the black man. So I am absolutely anti-socialism i'm a pro-capitalist and if that offends either of you well but then we can do whatever you want to
0: do <laughs> i think it, it's not going to offend eric at all trust you're me. you're a good company and it, it doesn't affect yeah. me at all and i want i i'm looking forward to getting to know you more mark that's for sure and i think yeah. it's awesome how you connect but you bring up that phone that phone is becoming the big thing just for business people with social audio as i brought up before the show but yeah. that's what the the best sell the greatest best-selling author of all time should learn this and be on that app all right so let's mark no, let's talk app.
1: i just didn't know how to monetize it that's okay
0: all. okay
1: all right well okay. and you know you're and neil but you know you make a point too right you know your phone you know that phone can be your biggest distract, distraction and money right and and mark you you know you've you've referenced uh faith and and got a lot you know a lot of people say, you know, the the love of money is is the uh, root of all evil, or or they'll say money is the root, and it's like, no, 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 money's not evil. It's not good versus bad, right? Right. It just is. It's it's if, if you're if you're in love with money, if your goal is money rather than what you can do with it, that's where it's bad. Um, you know, so money can be a huge distractor, but it, are you using money for your advantage, or are you allowing money to own you, right? And same thing with with that cell phone, right? Am I using this thing as as a as a launch pad, right? Which Neil's huge on Clubhouse and on it every day. Um, or am I using this thing to distract me, right? What's the meme? You know, all the people standing around looking at their phones, and it's like, are you going to be staring at your phone any place exciting this weekend? You know, you're going you're going to Niagara Falls, yet you're on your phone the whole time, and you never actually yeah, look up and go, "For sure, wow, God, you created this." So, how are we using our phones? You know, how are we using money? How are we using whatever? Um, And is it controlling us or yeah? So back to yeah.
2: First of all, the the Apostle Paul said the love of money, right? But it's actually the lack of money that causes more problems for more people in more ways. I mean, it Mm -hmm. causes drug abuse, it causes divorce, it causes all kinds of bad stuff because. Mm You know, if you really look at it, John 1010 said, you you've come, you come, might have life and have more abundantly. And yes, technology is going to create fundamental abundance for the first time in history. And a cell phone is part of that. But the, what you're really talking about is what we're talking about And Ask. You have to master who you want to be, what you want to do and what you want to have, and then make sure that you allocate the right amount of times to it. And, and young kids can't, are at fault because... They go, oh, I got to text all my friends. I've got to be on TikTok. I got to do whatever it is I got to do, but you always need to master your own self awareness and say, what is the highest and best utility of my being this at this time?
0: Absolutely, Mm -hmm. and that's the thing. How do you utilize that? What game plans do you make? A lot of people make aren't strategic in their plans in life. Isn't that true, Mark? And are you? How do you look at that and asking? Do you have to be prepared for this before it happens? I mean, I know your success, you're definitely a preparer. How do you show people that if you ask for things, you can get them? If you, is it planning and preparation? What is the, that, that secret?
2: Well, first of all, you got to ask yourself, what is it I want to be and do and have? And then what you do is say, where am I now is the first of the three quadrants that we're teaching here. And, and all the little parts of that. And am I happy with it? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I getting, and am I advancing myself, you know, and am I fulfilling my potential and all the dimensionality that I am? And then part B is where do I want to go into the highest degree? Where do you want to go? And what I wanted to do from the beginning and the reason those was 144 people turned us down to big publishers. And, and by the way, I'm now with seven publishing houses because I'm considered prolific, but is so You know, and and I look at what I did is I wrote a business plan and I would interviewed the 101 and one best-selling nonfiction fiction authors. I didn't ask, how do you write, which is what everybody does, which is an assign question. Because if you're going to be a writer, you probably don't need to go ask the best writers how to write. Go read their book on how to write because everyone. Right. Hemingway has done it. Stephen King has done it. You name it. They've all done that. But no one did what I did. Tell me what you did to market more books faster and better than you've ever done and they told me and I wrote a wild business plan but the top of the business plan is I'm going to sell a billion books I'll tell you right now I'm going to sell a billion books and if you read the critics a lot of critics will say nobody's ever sold a billion books so you can't do it well Amazon had me on their Amazon um, bestseller with 500,000 live people and the guy started out the show Mark Devereaux he's beautiful he said hey Mark Victor Hansen, you are the Roger Bannister of books Eric do you remember who that was I know
1: exactly who it is. You broke the four minute mile.
2: I said, that's correct. I said, nobody believed what happened next week. No, what happened? I said, 119 people did it. Now, before Bannister did the four minute mile, everyone said, your heart will jump out of your chest. You'll be a dead person. Nobody can run that fast. And now we got, my my family runs together as a family at the Boulder Boulder with 120,000 people. And we watched, the Kenyans take off. Who have long, elegant legs. They look like a, a, a <laughs> gazelle running right. eighty miles an hour. They're so fast and beautiful to watch. They're just and we end up at the very end because I, I got brothers older than me, and you know they're a little slow. But the, the point I'm making is, once we did that, we broke through. And, and you know, three years ago, nobody did a trillion-dollar company, and now we got five trillion-dollar companies, and we got one, two trillion-dollar company in America, Apple. I'm going to break through the billion mark. You guys as authors, both of you are going to have a new benchmark because the old days, well, most of you don't sell over 5,000 books. What the hell kind of asinine pill is that to take that you're going to have 5,000 books sitting in your garage or your basement or something? Figure out how to sell and market by asking yourself, what am I going to do that nobody else has ever done that's unique, that's transformational, and it's inevitable, that has to work. Back to your thing. I do strategies that are inevitable and I can give them some to you if you need them. Let's hear them. We're always open to yeah. So so with with chicken soup, we we did strategies like what you do is you find two things that are you guys know the math the negative times a negative equals a positive. Positive, correct. Yeah. So 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 the Red Cross is totally out of blood, and Liddy Dole long ago said. Hey Mark, you know, you have all these great ideas. You write more books than anybody and you think fast. Is there anything you can do to get me blood? Because Peter Dying, there's no such thing as pseudo-blood. In other words, God forbid your kid has an accident and goes to the hospital. If they don't have a compatible blood, your kid's called dead. If they you know, you only got nine pints of blood. And I said, Yeah, yeah, how fast do you need? She had yesterday. I said, Good, I'll get it tomorrow. So one of my four big markets at that time was chiropractic, uh, chiropractors, and they're 77,000 and they see 25 million patients a month. And I trained them how to have a million dollar practice because I believe high volume practice, because if you see more, you do more, you, you're you better. And, and Christ said, The greatest amongst right. you is servant of all. No, I'm just going to serve one person myself. No, no, that's an idiot. You know, you do, you've got no. You don't understand your spiritual rules if you're just going to take care of yourself. Anyhow, you got to take care of yourself and then take care of your family and the whole world. So in a little bit more to that. But the point is, they needed the blood. I got the chiropractors called 800 Give Life. We had everyone come in and get a free adjustment and a free copy of three uh, stories out of our book. Well, heck, our book went to bestseller in the next 58 weeks in a row because I did something nobody had ever done. That's one of a lot of stuff. We we're on 50 million die code cases that no one's ever done. On Monday mm-hmm. is is Amazon Prime day and a guy that is one of my close friends talked to me yesterday and said hey we're gonna have a hundred million people on and, and you could be on you could be on with me uh, because I'm, I'm one of the 20 guys that can run this thing and uh, you're on for one hour and everybody that buys anything in Amazon which is like a hundred million people in the first hour will be pinged and says world's best-selling author wants to tell you about his new book ask the bridge from your dreams your Destiny. Uh, if you'd like to listen just press the ping. And no one's ever done that before, because no one ever thinks, back to your question, Neil, strategy, what is the biggest, most outstanding, most extraordinary strategy you can do that no one's ever done? Well, no one's ever done what I just said I'm going to do on Monday. Yep. And and by the way, I'm not boasting. You ask, and I'm saying, hey, wait a second. Most Most interviewers say, well, you're a multimillionaire, and you're successful, and you're on the boards of the biggest companies. Why don't you retire? Retire to what? I'm having <laughs> right. a ball. You, Art Lincoln and I wrote a book: How to Make the Rest of Your Life the Best of Your Life. You don't retire. You put on new tires and go in a new, better direction. Exactly. That, that rattling, yeah. Stop rattling. You retread.
1: <laughs> you retread. And what? Yeah, what's there to retire to when you're chasing your dreams? Like what? What better could you possibly be doing with your time than chasing your dreams? they I chasing mean, our I'm, calling, right? Yeah.
2: What did I tell you a minute ago? I'm having a fulfilled and full thrilled life. I want everyone to be thrilled about their life. Who, who do you and I like sitting with least? Somebody that's boring. If they're boring, they are bored. That means they don't have any life juice. That means they haven't, told, they haven't asked themselves a the question. Who am I? What do I want to be? What do I want to do? What do I want to have? Where do I want to go? How fast do I want to get there? What is my contribution? And right now we got so many idiots out there saying, well, the government's gonna take care of you and give you a free lunch. There is no free lunch. Nope. The Bible right. crystal clear says you don't work, you don't eat. Now you say, well, that doesn't affect me. I got money and I don't have to worry. Well, in Hawaii, the guy who runs Hawaii Care and Cleaner, he's got one-fourth the employees, and everyone's going to the hotels, and you got to make your own bed, take your own meal. They don't have anybody to work. This is like dysfunctional. Amazon right now is having trouble hiring people because the world's richest guy can't afford to pay people. D- do you see the dysfunctionality of thinking <laughs> it's a free lunch? Right. And by the way, I'm on my right. high court, so if you don't want me to go that that's high, that's okay.
0: Now we like it. You some <laughs> of the guests that have been on Living a Legacy; they've really gone out, right, Eric? For sure. Yeah, they have. They have.
1: Yeah. And by the so way, way Living yeah, we a just Legacy, want you to be
2: you. I want, I want to leave a legacy with my kids and my grandkids and my great grandkids, which I expect to see four generations of grandkids, because I'm going to live that long. So, and, and I, it's dangerous the next thing I say, but my kids are all precocious or all well trained. They're all obedient, they're all respectful. And, and uh, in, in this book. Crystal and I were on vacation. Why? We own a company called Natural Power Concepts. We got pop-up urban wind, which is going to change the world and have plenty of energy. So we're going to have good, clean, green energy. So I'm a uh, Republican tree hugger. But the point is, we're on the beach in <laughs> Hawaii, and my little six-year-old grandson calls and says, Grampy? Now, he had a, got a gizmo watch for Christmas, a talkie watch, and he only calls his grandparents and his parents. So I knew it was him. And he said, are you alone? I said, no, I'm with Grandma Goes by Mimi and my wife. And says, are you, yeah, can I talk to you? I said, all the time for 24 hours a day for the rest of your life. What do you want, son? And he says, yeah. you know those great books you write, the chicken soup books? I said, yeah. I said, do you write any more books? I said, yeah, we're writing Ask. He said, can I write it with you? Well, So the first story we do is a six-year-old because no one's ever put a six-year-old as the first story in a book. And I it just, it. Wow. It, tickle, it tickles him. Everybody in school knows that, that he is a best-selling author at seven years old. I mean, what the heck? It, it took nothing from grandpa and and everybody's got somebody that can help them so could somebody say well I don't have the world's best-selling authors my grandfather or uncle or relative you've got somebody in your network of 250 people that know mm-hmm. you and you know that you can have help you everyone That's can so find true. a mentor and, a, and you be the mentee or vice versa
0: yeah I was yeah. I was writing a an article for a podcast magazine. Regarding uh, Michelle Snow, WNBA champion, and she talked about how be her mentors Pat Summit, the late Pat Summit, and then her high school coach. But it started with somebody telling her, "You got to find a mentor." So that's such an important thing that we all need to have as a mentor, for sure. Go ahead, well, Eric. It yeah, it, she's
2: correct. Let's let's go to the last question we ask in the book. We got it from our friend Dr. Peter Demandis, the guy who runs Singularity and a Genius and X Prize. But he says, "What are you going to personally do?" During this decade to positively affect a billion people now that's a legacy we're thinking about and here's the bottom line question eric and neil the bottom line of that beautiful question is you cannot ask your mind a question without the answer being forthcoming maybe not immediately but eminently one way or another because you're going to have an illumination you're going to have a solution you're going to have a a a result you're going to have a, a positive interaction you're going to be awake to seeing stuff that you weren't awake to seeing 10 minutes ago before you ask the question. So I want everybody out there to say, how am I going to positively affect a billion people? Well, I'm going to do with my books, my tastes, my courses, my funnels, all the stuff that I'm doing because we want to see how far we can go, how high we can be and how much I can learn And, and all of us are here to grow in
0: wisdom. Love it. So Eric, yeah. he, are, he, are, yeah. he, Eric he pretty much yeah. answered our legacy question already so what last question do you have for, you have for mark victor he did because yeah. because yeah.
1: yeah right so mark well, you know we talk about right, the legacy go ahead. most
2: people have never even thought about doing back to the earlier question you asked you know most people don't know what they're going to do after lunch much less longer plans so the chinese have 50 and thousand year plans and most Americans have, oh, what am I going to do after lunch? That's not a good. Well, and the question,
1: you know, we ask a lot, right? So everybody talks about leaving a legacy, which, you know, you talked about, you know, your, your, your kids and grandkids and see, you know, four generations. Um, you know, what we talk about is how are we, how are we living our legacy today, right? Which is exactly. exactly what this session has been on. You know, it's great to leave a legacy, but I want to live a legacy. And you know, <laughs> living a legacy is using your influence to impact the world around you, right? That's living right. a legacy. Um, so that's the question we love to ask people. It's just you know, and, and you've, you've answered it. If there's something else you'd like to fill in, I would love to hear it. And, and I do have one final question, but but no, we, if we there's the anyone else,
2: I think you're here to create a legacy, Genesis 1. 2628 says, you're made in the image and likeness. Number two, you're here to contribute. And three, you're here to be charitable, right? Why not create a charity ongoing for the forever? Like my friend and old minister in New York, Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, a power positive thinking author, mm-hmm. created the ratio Jura Association, which I'm a proud member of, 10 of us matriculate a year. It means you came from were excessively philanthropic. But the, the beauty of, of Horatio is that all there's 252 living out of 500 matriculants. I mean, everybody is one that, that is giant from Oprah to back to Billy Graham to everybody. But the question is, how can we do that? And your and trips away to at risk kids, we're taking them out of.
1: All of us can
2: create unlimited amounts of money. Mm -hmm. For the first time in history, all of us can learn the principles that I teach in all the, I got seven major money books out, even one for kids, how to call the richest kids in America, which I teach kids how to make a fortune. I I interviewed 21 kids that made a million dollars for their 19 years old, right? The richest kids in America. So there's no lack of money. There's a lack of awareness of how to create money. And all I say is, look, you got to learn these money principles and there's only a few of them but once you learn to create the money principles then you learn how to do everything like invest and save and then also be charitable
0: all right well fantastic wonderful all right so we uh eric i appreciate again great interview great guest Yeah. great guest uh mark best place we can connect with you is go where yes Yes. If, if they go to uh
2: if they want to do a book, they go to HansonInstitute.com and watch all our videos because we teach how to do that. Okay. Otherwise, you just watch all my uh, YouTube videos, which um, my goal is to create 7,000 YouTube videos in the next two years, and, and we're creating, like yesterday, eight, so um, is that I think are really important. Having written 318 books, I've got a few things I want to say, as you can tell. Yeah. I'm pretty I'm opinionated. I got an opinion yes. on everything. I'm not asking you to agree with it. <laughs> All I'm asking you do is let me stimulate your thinking so you think and change your perspective because it's like the two little kids in fourth grade fighting and the teacher says, Johnny, you over there, Sammy, over there, pulls out a ball, puts on the table, what color is it? Black, white, black, white. Are you stupid? You can't see? Switch sides is half black and half white. That's the perspective change I want to get people to have.
0: All right. Well, we appreciate it. Thanks again. Thank that was Living a Legacy. Take care, guys.
4: Celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more.
3: Download celebrity slots today.
0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Light in the Morning podcast. I'm excited to welcome to the program, Margot Lemmark. Margot, it's great to talk to you again, and you bring such great inspiration. And uh, chapter one really uh, was interesting to think about, just summarizing what people definitely need to pick up the book. How are you?
4: I'm fine. Thanks, Neil. It's great to talk to you again. Absolutely. So let's
0: kind of j- j- um, go into first kind of where we left off in chapter one and go to chapter two.
4: Okay. So chapter two is um, it, it, chapter two goes into a little bit more in depth in my life and um, how I had this relationship with this guy named Ryan and everything that came out of that. The interesting thing about that was um we had a lot of synchronicity. I, he, we were best friends in high school and college, best friends. And then we didn't see each other for many, many years. And one, at one time I had this experience when I was living in California and it was, um, I had taken a year off from college and he had gone to the Navy and hadn't seen each other for a long time. And, um, I had this experience where I realized it was this kind of cognitive experience like I have that he was the one. And um, so I wrote him a letter and it really, um, it was hard to explain in this letter, but I just had to express my feelings for him because now we were changing from friends to something else. And he at the time he was in Australia, so it took me a long time to write the letter. I finally wrote it, sent it, and I knew exactly when he would get it. So the day that he would get it, I was sitting in my kitchen and I heard this little clunk in my mailbox. I, I had one of those slits in the door and something clunked down to the floor. So I go to the door and where my mail was and there was a cassette and it was from him. <laughs> and I thought, wow, this is interesting because he's getting my letter today. And in this cassette, he, I thought, what did he send me? Music? This is cool. He explained to me how he had written many, many letters and ripped them up and threw them away and wrote another letter, ripped it up, threw it away. And finally, he just had to speak it. And he had to speak his feelings for me because he realized we were more than friends. And so he, he sent me basically the same letter that I sent him, and we both got them on the same day. And that just really um, is an example of how this relationship was. You know, it was very um, incredible. So that's the start of this story.
0: <laughs> oh, oh wow okay let's continue That's, uh, so continue a little bit more before not giving it all away but yeah go ahead
4: yeah i know it's it's it, this one's hard not yeah it's kind of hard not to, to give it all away but um it it's you know er, every single story in my book is another way to explain how we don't die, you know, um, Mm -hmm. a time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I guess I don't want to give the whole story away and I'm I'm trying to figure out how, no, I'll stop.
0: I'll stop that. That's the perfect thing is to say we, every person doesn't die at certain points instead of going deeper into chapter two. I think that, yeah, when you're, you're talking about specifically someone you care about in so many ways, even if they disappear In any way There's still A living memory Of them forever Regardless Even if they If you parted ways And broke up That There's still something Even if you broke up That was special About that person That will never die
4: yeah, th- well, that's right, but but there's a little bit different twist on it on this one. Um, there were many synchronistic things like this with us, and um, one night I went into this into a bar, and I was you know just kind of having fun with my friends, and all of a sudden I just started. I, didn't, I, I never drank too much, but I started drinking like crazy, and I looked at the clock, and it's felt like time froze. And I, I just started kind of chugging, and my friend's like, Margo, what are you doing? And remember, this is college day, so it, I'm not that way anymore, but, but that night I went home, went to bed, and I had this dream, and in the dream, um, the phone started ringing. And I picked up the phone, and it was my friend, a really good friend of mine and a good friend of Ryan's who said, Ryan died last night at exactly the time I started looking at the clock and chugging. Yeah. And so, um, after that it's really interesting because it was a very tragic accident. It was a car accident where several people were in the car. All of the car people were killed except the driver. And, um, we, I, I went to the funeral. Obviously, I was there, and people kept saying to me, "I, I knew something about life that I, I, I didn't know before." I looked at him in the casket, and I realized he wasn't there. That was just a shell of a body. He, he was totally not there. And when they, when they actually gave the sermon at the funeral, I almost stood up and said, "No, he didn't die. He's not. That's not." that's not him. That's just the body. You know, I had such a big realization. I didn't because I didn't want to create a stir at his funeral. But when I was talking to people, I was, I was, um, uh, consoling them and saying things. And when, whatever I said, people would say to me, "Margot, it's just like Ron is talking through you or something. Um, it, it, it's just like, he's here, you know, whatever I said, it, it's like, he was right there with me almost like I was channeling him or something. I I didn't feel like I was channeling him, but I could feel his presence so strongly with me and not in that casket. He was with me. And, And there wasn't a change. there was, I mean, he wasn't there physically, but I I could feel him there so strongly that that's when I really realized that you don't die. He's right here. (laughs) And it was a very interesting experience. And so that's where I say, there's many stories in the book and all of them point to the same (laughs) conclusion that we don't die. And that was very revealing for me.
0: definitely seems, uh, wow. You're so right about that. Um, and, uh, that once they go on their presence is still there and you believe that their spirit is around you Mm -hmm. and that we had that conversation in one of our other episodes, but I think that telling that story is so important. And so I thought just memories, but you're believing once people die that their spirit lives on amongst us forever.
4: Yes. Yes. And that's what I realized with this because when I was walking around that funeral home, Consoling people. I'm the one. I mean, it was it was my boyfriend. He <laughs> was actually my fiance at that point. Oh my but gosh, Ron. I, wow. I was yeah, and I was the one that was helping other people. And the reason I could help them, I didn't say Ron's right here. I I, I call him Ron because that was his name in 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 the book. I call him Ryan because I changed people's names because you know a lot of these people and families are still alive, so I changed everybody's name. So I don't want to confuse anybody if they want if they're wondering who I'm talking about, but you know i could feel him there and whatever i was telling people to console them they were they got so inspired by it, and they'd come, and they'd hug me, they'd be crying, and and I'd just start talking to them, and we'd talk back and forth, and they started to get so inspired, and the reason why is because I knew Ron was still here, and even though I didn't tell them that, I, but, but whatever I said conveyed that, and they felt so kind of high, and happy, and Um, It it was a real powerful experience, and I have to say, you know, I was, what, 23 at the time or something, and that was when my big realization came, because I walked around that funeral home, and I was filled with Ron. I could feel him in every cell of my body. He was right there with me, just walking around with me. And um when you have an experience like that, it's not believing that their spirit is here anymore, it's knowing because you it's it's an actual experience of that. So I realized that people transform. They don't die, they transform. <laughs> their their body goes away and, and the and your your relationship with that person also transforms. And it goes to a much higher level actually. It's much subtler, it's much more powerful we, you just miss them on the physical.
0: Yeah, we definitely miss them on the physical. No doubt. Wow.
4: Yeah. And mm, it's important mm. to grieve them on the physical people. People who realize that people don't die, they think, Oh, but it's all okay. You know, they're, they're better off. And yeah, you know, yeah, that's, that's true, but (laughs) there still is that physical grief. And it's really important to grieve that physical loss as, as well as understanding that they're still alive. There's kind of two levels that go on when somebody dies there's the knowing that they're better that they're in a great place there's also the grief of not being able to have that physical interaction with that person again
0: all right so that's awesome um great information again to pick up the book the best place to go is your website right
4: either the website or go to amazon.com light in the morning m-o-u-r-n-i-n-g memoirs of an undertaker's daughter
0: all right we appreciate it a great another podcast uh, light in the morning podcast take care morgan we'll talk soon great thanks neil uh, all right that was the light in the morning podcast take care guys please listen to the forletta podcast Larry Forletta, a retired DEA agent turned private investigator, will bring you true life stories on the war on drugs with some of the most infamous international drug traffickers of all time. To name a few, Pablo Escobar, Manuel Noriega, Joaquin Guzman aka El Chapo, and other related real life crime stories such as Wake Up. For more information, please visit his website at www.fcisllc.com. Hi, everyone. We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and I'm excited about the special editions. Uh, We've been continuing to go through John Smith's book, Embracing the Abyss. And we're on to chapter five, John, looking forward to it. And then we have a commentary. I think the commentary leads to a lot of the conversation that could lead to another book. Who knows? Or books. We'll have to wait and see about
3: that. But go ahead with uh, chapter five. Okay. The Compliance Guy, chapter five. During 1983-84, as things were slowly shifting in Dallas from Dondi Group over to Vernon Savings, I stayed busy with compliance as Vernon Savings was under a supervisory agreement imposed by the Federal Home Loan Bank Board. Having these tasks and others, I gradually became an admin guy on the Vernon Savings side of things. I no longer was responsible for Dondi Group Accounting. Rick Ramsey hired someone to become the CFO and run the Dondi Group Accounting Department. Of course, I was still in exile. And Rick continued saving me from Dixon for a better purpose. I was not to be noticed by Dixon. That was a rule. Rick was effectively hiding me. I appreciated what Rick did for me and we apparently went back further than I realized. In 1963, when I was around 14 years old, I was in Waxahoochee, that's a slur, Waxahachi, Texas, delivering a letter to my Aunt Claudie, who managed the local Dairy Queen. While standing outside the order window, I could see through the, to the back door where a teenage guy was working at an astonishing speed. He was back and forth and back and forth, flipping burgers and tending fries and preparing all the other stuff people ordered. It was a hot day and he was hot and sweaty. This guy never faltered, didn't miss a step. I was impressed. My aunt finally came to the window, and I left thinking I was glad I wasn't that guy in the back. <laughs> in early 83, I was talking with Rick's wife, Rick Ramsey's wife, Rick, Rick, the president, who mentioned that he had worked at the Dairy Queen in Waxahachie. I responded with the fact that my Aunt Claudia used to run the place. Oh, wow. She replied, yes, that would have been Mrs. McCoy, a real mule driver. She was one tough person to work for. Not long after that conversation, I put two and two together to realize that the guy in the back on that hot day was Ricky Wayne, my boss at Donde Group. What a small world we live in. Vernon Savings had its own accounting department with its own chief financial officer. It dealt with day-to-day transactions as they occurred, business as usual. Vernon Savings did not perform any sort of due diligence that I'm aware of on whether or whether or not the transactions were good sales or good deals or good loans or bad loans. They would receive the closing statements and documentation to record what came their way and voila, profits resulted. Still a CPA, I was the officer of Dondi Financial and Vernon Savings responsible for working with the partner in charge of the audit from Arthur Young, a nationally recognized accounting firm. I discussed reporting theory on various matters, whether recognizable in terms of revenue recognition, income, and profits. I did not do any of the nuts and bolts accounting. did not have any accounting, daily accounting responsibilities. Once I was placed in exile, it was the end of the day, today accounting for me. I did not do any type of review or on any loan. If I had asked to review a loan and I didn't have any reason to ask, I most certainly would have been allowed to do so by Dixon or Woody. They would not have allowed me. They kept a pretty tight rein on the deals because of what they were doing with them. What they appeared to be doing turned out to be completely different from what they were actually doing. I spent a good deal of time working as a loan on a loan manual and guidelines for the loan guys in Dallas. Of course, they never paid any attention to these materials, only to what Dixon told them to do. I recall an almost all-day seminar held in Beaver Creek, Colorado. I was the onstage presenter, listening to the new rules Dixon would groan, and afterward, he would often accuse me of pissing on their campfire. What I didn't know then, but would find out later, was that the acquisition, development, and construction, ADC loans, were frequently fraudulent. They were often fictitious, put together by Dixon and Woody, with certain selected borrowers deal guys. This may sound simple, but it was created and executed by a couple of masterminds. Funds from these loans deals were used by Dixon for various things like beach houses, airplane jets, and art to name just a few. I remember a fake dollar bill created by the Dondi Group marketing staff that had Dixon's picture on it with the words, in Don we trust. In the spring of 1983, a new plan was hatched by Dixon to take the Dondi Group projects and inject them into Dondi Financial, the holding company via a reverse merger. Vernon Savings and Dondi Financial applied for and received approval from the Texas Savings and Loan Commissioner for the reverse merger. Briefly, a reverse merger is basically the acquisition of a company, Dondi Group, by another company, Vernon Savings, so that the acquiring company gets the benefit of the acquired company's assets and the reorganizational of capital. This became somewhat of a common practice for SNLs because it was a method of increasing needed capital which had dwindled during the last few years. Speculators and real estate developers were encouraged to buy savings and loans. They had grand plans of infusions and other methods to increase the capital base. But in this process, regulators didn't realize they were taking on a boatload of bad assets that on the paper looked good, but Dixon ordered a massive effort for the reverse merger to occur post-haste just Prior to the capital injection merger, there was a supposed buyer for Don Group out of Oklahoma. He was a chubby guy who at a moment's notice could make eyes well up their tears like he was crying. This ploy was to generate whatever sympathy he had during any negotiations. Dixon asked Rick Ramsey, who was still president of Don Group for Don Group's consolidated financial statements so the proposed buyer could have a better understanding of the purchase price. While Dixon was making or meeting with a teary-eyed prospective buyer, a birthday party was in progress downstairs for Rick. I was the chosen one to go upstairs to find Dixon so he could join the party. I poked my head into his office and said, come on down, there's a birthday party underway for Ramsey. What I didn't know was that only a few minutes earlier, Dixon had looked at the financial statements with the prospective buyer and proceeded to throw a fit, a tumultuous tirade of yelling at Ramsey and Ramsey's office. You're nothing but a bookkeeper. You don't know what you're doing. You're not cut out for a high position. Oh, wow. Dixon threw the financial statements against the wall again, yelling at Ramsey so loud that people in the office next door heard it. What prompted Dixon's explosion was that Ramsey had previously instructed his CFO of Dondee Group to prepare all financial statements according to proper protocols, in accordance with generally accepted county principles. Rick had uh, authorized the write-offs of a number of items. Wow. They were dead assets, which had no value. Neither Rick nor Don attended the birthday party. That was the day when Ramsey's departure was set on his birthday. Rick would learn that his successor would not come from the inside that he had practiced his Machiavellian tactics on. Instead, someone from the outside toting a bag of better asset opportunities was coming. Shortly after missing his own birthday party, Ramsey was bought out as a president selling his financial stock at over a million dollars he became the only person to ever sell their stock for real money and that's the end of chapter five wow now.
0: okay so what you're seeing now kind of take your your thought process in this you're seeing right now there's some tom happening at. so ramsey ramsey was your position after that right right Okay, so you you came into the company in a different position, and then Ramsey
3: resigning led you to a promotion. Well, except that I was still in um, in the box. I was still in the box. Uh, so that comes along of what my future is and what it happens to be when the commander comes on and takes uh, takes uh, charge. The commander was the assistant commissioner savings and loans in Austin. And he liked what Vernon was doing because Vernon was making a lot of money, but he didn't know how they were going about doing it, but he hired on anyway. And that's a story behind that as well as a chapter that as well in the near future.
0: Wow. So at this point in time, did you know that the financials were so skewed or not? No, no, did not. Because you didn't have access to that point in time. That's correct. But the story of meeting him in Dairy Queen, the owner, now do you think about it more and more that he wasn't the person that he said he was, or he
3: was not really a good person from he that a, meeting? No, he was a good person. He didn't know about it. He, he, Dixon would hide things from him. He so did Ramsey get in trouble too, even though he left? No, he did not get in trouble because in their investigation, they learned that Ramsey didn't have anything to do with Vernon Savings.
1: Oh, wow.
0: So Ramsey was out before all, all, of it, all the crap happened.
3: Correct. And like I said, he was the only guy to, that made money on their stock. The only guy. Wow.
0: All right. So that's a great uh, conversation waiting us for the next chapter. Everyone's all here's to see what happens next in embracing in the abyss chapter six when is john going to end up being the fall guy we're going to be hearing all about that uh next week on the neil haley show so i appreciate it john again you can go to searching inte- for integrity.com or embracingthebyss.com for more information follow john smith on all different social platforms and we'll talk again next week very good all right Thank guys you. that was the embracing the Biz segment take care